the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Last week, Nick reminded us of the journey that Abraham went on, the context within which this account was written, and encouraged us to examine who we are becoming and who God is building us into this length. If you missed it, I would really encourage you to catch up with it online when you get a moment. This week, we are continuing with the story of Abraham. We're focusing this time on the amazing interactions and relationship between God and Abraham that we see in Genesis 15. To do that, I'd like to look at two different things. The unfulfilled promises and God's response. There'll be some time built in for personal reflection as we go along, which I'm hoping will be a helpful way to engage with this for all of us. I'd like to start by saying that if I'm really honest, I've always struggled with Abraham. Over the years, I found the lives of Sarah and of Hagar really helpful and grounding. But if I'm honest, I've often been left just frustrated by Abraham. In particular, when the New Testament writers hark back to him as a pillar of faith, I've found myself wanting to ask if they paid close enough attention to who Abraham was and what he did, to how messy and wrong it goes, to how often this pillar of faith seems to do exactly the wrong thing and doesn't seem to trust God at all. But maybe it's me that's been wrong. And maybe I'm not alone in that. When we hear the words pillar of faith, we want someone certain and unwavering. Someone we can hold up as an example. And Abraham is not that. But rather than meaning we should reevaluate Abraham's status, that we need to look at our definition of faithfulness? Do we try and dress up what being faithful looks like to be far nearer to perfection than any human being is capable of? Is there in fact more to be said about faithfulness in Abraham's brokenness, in his anger and in his doubt? than in this rosy image we all too often try to paint. This passage starts with a wonderful declaration from God about who he is. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward, he says. It's important not to miss the response that follows this, because it might not be the one that we expect. It's not worship. It's not adoration. It's not, at first glance, faith. Genesis 15 is the space where the previous frenzied activity of Abraham's life ceases. And he has space to think. At this point, his worries and his pain begin to take over. And his response is to cry out in pain to God that how he thought his life was going to go has not happened. He does not have an heir to inherit. 
And in the face of that, anything else that God can give him seems worthless. It's too easy, I think, with passages like this to skip over these parts quickly. To get ourselves as fast as possible to the bit where God comes through and it's okay. But that isn't Abraham's experience of life. He lived in this place of unfulfilled dreams and shattered hope for decades. And it isn't my experience of life. And I imagine it isn't yours either. So even though it's uncomfortable and maybe even painful, I'd like to spend some time in this space. Abraham's problem is neither a small problem nor a small dream. It's easy to respond overly flippantly with her, but God has said it will be okay, just trust him. But many, if not all of us, will have those really deep-rooted dreams that we have never seen come to fruition and that we are broken by. And we need to acknowledge the pain of that, the brokenness of that, and the truth that they may not be fulfilled how we would have liked or ever. This passage is designed to do the exact opposite to the effect it can often have on us. It's not to set us up to believe that if we only had enough faith, then it would all be okay. So that all that we dream comes to pass quickly, easily, and just as we would like. But rather to set out very clearly that regardless of circumstances, the God who makes the promises, who sustains us in the darkness of night, is and always will be utterly faithful and utterly trustworthy. And just as he does to Abraham, God is listening to the reality of the pain and brokenness we feel. And he wants to respond. What are the things that if we're honest, we want to cry out with Abraham in response to verse 15? But God, you have not done this. I'd like us to spend some time in quiet now. To reflect on, to think about the things in your life that have come to mind when we talk about these unfulfilled promises and dreams. The things that weigh heavy on us and sometimes stand between us and God. If you have them, I'd love you to write a note on a post-it note um, of what that would look like for you at the moment. I love God's response to Abraham's pain, his doubts and his raw honesty. The thing I love most about it, I think, is how closely it shows God was listening. If, like me, you're in a season where the unfulfilled promises seem to be weighing heavy, then I hope this is some of the refreshment that you need to. 
God directly addresses what Abraham said. No, this man will not be your heir. He reiterates the promise he has made. And then he does the most crucial thing. Because Genesis 15 is not about Abraham's faith, but about God's faithfulness. In addressing the unfulfilled promises, in reinstating them, God does not lay out a blow-by-blow account of how it will come to pass. This isn't a step-by-step guide of what will happen in Abraham's life. Instead, he turns Abraham's focus to who God is. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He calls Abraham and he calls us to look to creation, to see the character, the power and the faithfulness of the creator. Then he calls Abraham to remember what he has already done. And where he has already seen God act. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Abraham's response to the reiterating of the promise is a beautifully human, real mismatch. We are told Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. But then he asks, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Abraham still can't see the way ahead. And this brings us, I think, back into the broken, confused, muddled example of faith that we are gifted in Abraham. And it calls us, I think, to join Abraham in prefacing our questions with an acknowledgement of who God still is. He is sovereign Lord. Because when we cannot see the way that God is leading or how a promise can be fulfilled, we are not called to diminish, to ignore or to pass off the very real pain that we feel. But in that lived experience, to turn our heart who it is who has made the promise and what we know of him. With that in mind, we're going to pause for another time of reflection. If you can, I would love it if on a different post-it note you could write some praise, some truths about who you know God to be what you've seen in creation, what you've seen of his character, of his power, of his faithfulness. And then to come and stick it over the first set of post-it notes. As we continue through the passage, God's emphasis and God's focus stay in exactly the same He repeatedly invites Abraham into worship and reminds him who he is. And towards the end of this passage, he does that in an extraordinary way. 
to our modern ears, the sacrifices, halving of animals and blazing fire torches might seem odd and jarring. But in the midst of ritual and tradition, what we are given here is a glimpse of an extraordinary event. Unlike many of the covenants and agreements we see in the Old Testament between God and people, this is a unilateral covenant. It is God and God alone who makes this promise. In passing between the offerings, he requires nothing of Abraham and offers everything. Abraham is merely a worshipful observer as the presence of God comes and gives certainty and assurance that not only will Abraham have an heir, but he will have generations of descendants who will inhabit the land that God has given to him. God's promises are so far beyond the dreams of one person. Abraham asked for one son. He was given generation after generation of descendants. It isn't necessarily the answer that Abraham was looking for, or even the answer that he wanted. But God is clear and upfront. There will be pain, punishment, and even enslavement for these generations to come. But this is the fulfillment of the promise that allowed God's plans to come to fruition. And as we look at one extraordinary unilateral covenant and fulfilment of promise, we are reminded of the one that Lent leads us to. That even though we may live in the darkness of yet unfulfilled promises, of shattered hopes, we may not be able to see the way ahead. We also live in the certainty of Jesus's unilateral covenant in his death and in his resurrection. We don't just want to superficially cover the pain with knowledge of who God is. God does not want us to diminish the pain that we live with, but to walk with him in it. It's important, I think, that God calls Abraham to worship him and to have a deeper understanding of who he is way before the promise will be completed. We can be certain that God's word is true and God's word is good. But we have to live with the reality that this is not a slot machine exercise. We don't always get out exactly what we ordered, and that's hard. But this story and many of our lived experiences teach us that walking God's way, trusting in his promises, even when we can't see or don't like the end to which they seem to be going, 
gives us more freedom and more joy than anything else. And you see, that's the beauty of a post-it note. This isn't a stick-it-down, cover-up job. Here we have a two-page book. And the second page is still there, still readable, accessible and important. The page of unfulfilled promises of pain matters. But now we have the beginnings of a book where the pain and unfulfilled promises are not the cover page. They're not the defining feature but they still form an important part of the story. This passage highlights that even though, or maybe almost because, we are driven by our insecurities, our worries and our doubts, by our very ordinary limitations, rather than our great faith, God is still utterly faithful. At the beginning of the passage, to every statement that God makes, Abraham has a but. This is the human response. It is our response and God knows that. He carefully and lovingly guides Abraham through a process of reminding him that he is the creator of all. He is the faithful saviour and deliverer, the Lord worthy of worship and the presence with him. And he wants to do the same with us. So that this Lent and beyond, we would remember that no matter our fears and concerns and our feeling that we are somehow missing some element that is crucial if we are to travel this journey. God is still with us every step on the journey.